This episode of Ready or Not is sponsored by Our Pilates, an online Pilates platform created to help you feel good about moving your body. Designed by physiotherapist and new mum, Han McKim, the pre- and postnatal classes focus on all areas that mums and mums-to-be need most. Han filmed these classes throughout her own pregnancy so that she can help strengthen, lengthen and support you through yours. As a special offer to listeners of Ready or Not, our Pilates founders Brooke Hogan and Han McKim are offering 14 days free of charge to help you kickstart your Pilates routine. Simply use the coupon Ready or Not when you sign up to redeem this offer. From the outset, the focus of this podcast has been the working mother or primary caregiver. But what happens to your career and identity when you lose your own mother? Recently, a LinkedIn post by Jala Alex had me questioning this. I'm going to share a little bit with you now. My mother passed away unexpectedly in early July. The flow and effects to my life, my relationships, my decisions, my health, my work, are inextricably bound to this new perspective. As such, my relationship with work-life balance has never been more vital to my well-being. The idea of returning to work in this state was daunting and the fear of possibly fucking up was real. The reality is, rightly or wrongly, we must return to work at some stage. Don't get me wrong, I love my work, but showing up as a changed person was a new and interesting challenge. The post stopped me in my tracks because many mothers naturally link part of their identity to their children and their role as a mother. But just as profound can be the way in which our mothers shape our own identities, our own aspirations, and the way we move in the world and at work. So, how do we go on with work and life after losing our own mother? What does return to work after grief look like? And how do our priorities and worldviews shift? We're very lucky that Jala has decided to open up about this painful experience in the hope that it will help others feel a little less alone. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is the vulnerable and wonderful Jala Alex. Jala, thank you so much for being here. From the outset, this podcast has really or was going to be more about how mothers make work work, but you put up a post on LinkedIn that really stopped me in my tracks about losing your own mother and what that did for your career and outlook on life and work. Can you start by introducing yourself and what you do? Yeah, of course. So I live in Torquay, which is on the surf coast in Victoria. I just turned 32 yesterday. Happy and birthday. Thank you. And I work for a tech startup that's in FinTech. And I'm a community manager, so I'm basically like a professional people person. So I, <laughs> I best describe it. But yeah, super high, very agile, lots of change all the time. Super fun. I love my job and the company I work for. So I feel very, very privileged. And yeah, I lost my mum in July this year. So we're recording in December. This will be released in January, but still obviously so fresh. We're in the first six months of this loss. Yeah. Before we actually talk about that experience, can you tell us a bit about your mum and your relationship? Yeah, definitely. So mum and I were like, the best way to describe it is like soulmates. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 
it always felt like we were just meant to be on this earth together. It was kind of never questioned and yeah, it was kind of like this, this twin flame relationship and we, we actually looked exactly the same oh, wow. on my Instagram, but we yeah, literally did. Winning. And it kind of used to blow people away. But yeah, just the closest. Like it's kind of, it's difficult to describe because it's it was almost like a marriage, but in the sense that of that like commitment and respect for one another. We just totally adored each other and just like hung off every word. You know, I would never leave my mum on red or anything. It was like, I just wanted to know what she had to say. <laughs> like we were just obsessed, totally obsessed. Yeah, best, best little mates and always, always had been. It was like me and mum against the world from, from the get-go. My parents separated and divorced when I was like 18 months old. So, Are you um, an only child? Yeah, only child as well. Mm. well <laughs> super close. But. Yeah, like it, it's... Truly, this would be hard to describe. Yeah, the closest. And if you're comfortable, can you tell us a little bit about what happened and that experience for you? Yeah, it's it's actually quite complex. There was like a lot of moving parts and, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you this, the whole story and you can mm, only... Only what you're comfortable sharing. Yeah. So it was a big, big week for, for me. My My dad called me a few days before everything went down with my mom and told me he had cancer. Oh, wow. Which was like, like my world was totally rocked. And, oh, wow. And nothing, you know, like caught early and hopefully treatable. We, uh, we don't know the results of his treatment yet, but we will find out next week. And so my, my world was like kind of very, it felt... Yeah, I can't even describe. It was very emotional and my mum's actually just gotten COVID as well. And I called her that night, like bawling my eyes out about dad, but also very conscious that she'd like just gotten COVID and was feeling really sick. So there was like a lot going on with their health at the same time. And so my focus is like just on dad. Of course. And and his partner, they've been together for like 25 years or something. Um, and then mum and I, we had this like quite telepathic mm. connection. Actually very telepathic. No, I'm not even going to like beat around the bush. It, it was mm. something else that's quite psychic. Mm. I was in a meeting actually and I would never normally pick up my phone and text someone but I just had this really strong sense that something was wrong with mum and that she was having a stomach pain. And wow. yeah, she'd had bowel issues for quite some years, um, like maybe the past five to 10 years, she had bowel issues. We never knew what it was, but just something was not right. And I got this feeling in a meeting one day that she was having a stomach pain and I texted her and I said, are you having a bad tummy? She replied and she was like, oh my God, I just got off the phone to a doctor. I'm going to hospital right now. So that was kind of actually the beginning of the end. So that was on a Monday and, uh, and by 
Friday night, Saturday morning, she was gone. So it was really, I mean, she was so healthy, so vibrant. She turned her life around. She'd lost, I think it was 40 kilos. Maybe so, yeah, she was incredibly healthy and she looked so young. No one ever believed that she she was just full of life. And uh, anyway, so she got admitted to hospital for this pain in her stomach. And there was a series of events where because she was positive for COVID, her care was not the same as someone who didn't have COVID. For example, when she first went to emergency, she was left in this annex for like 12 hours in the colds with no pain meds and, you know, presenting with 10 out of 10 acute pain in her stomach, but left completely untreated. So the first kind of stage was she had an operation for an internal hernia Mm -hmm. in her bowel. And after the surgery, she texted all of us, did like a bit of a broadcast text and said, just an internal hernia, keyhole surgery, you know, this is the best case scenario. So I'm on the Tuesday, I'm thinking, cool, mum's in, you know. She's in good care. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. Everything's going to be fine. Then, honestly, my timeline is a little bit blurred. Oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically, I don't remember how long it was. But I think it was about another 12 hours after the initial surgery, the first one, she had really, really severe pain in the stomach again. So something had gone wrong because she was experiencing the same pain again. And she wasn't provided with any painkillers for a very long time after that. And we spoke on the phone actually, and she spoke to my auntie as well. And she was like, I've never been so sick in my life. I can't, can't talk. I'm about to vomit. Oh, wow. And it's been very distressing. Yeah, it was, it's horrible. And like to now know that that was the last conversation is like, oh. sorry, I'm going to probably going to swear a lot. By the way. That's absolutely fine. You're, um, you're entitled to it. <laughs> yeah. And we actually had to kind of intervene in a way by getting her doctor's surgery to call the hospital and be like, WTF, mate, why has mm. she got any painkillers? She's calling her family saying she's experiencing, you know, agonizing mm. pain right after a surgery. Like, mm. what the? Nothing's f- fixed. What's going where's, on? Yeah, where's mm. the post surgery care? And, and are you able, not able to visit her because she has COVID? Exactly. So I was still in Melbourne at this time. My auntie, they lived together actually. So she, but yeah, she was in a COVID ward. So if you were to visit, it's full PPE. You have to go into a room before the room, before the room. And it's like, it's a really big process. So yeah, not easy to visit basically. Like my auntie couldn't be by her side. And then, so she wasn't, yeah, given any painkillers for a really long time and even after this surgery and then she crashed so her blood pressure completely crashed and then she was rushed to the ICU 
and put on like the highest life support possible like every machine just all the way up Mm. you know like every every organ was failing at this point and that's that's when things got really serious that's when I got on a plane and oh my god I had worst experience so I booked this flight but you know it's midnight and my mom's in the ICU and I'm freaking out and I'm alone and I don't know what to do and so I'm on my laptop booking a flight and not really looking or concentrating and I'd booked it for the wrong day oh so I stayed up oh so unfair I stayed up all night like I just could not sleep And then got to the airport super early, got to the flight, went to scan in and they were like, you're not on this plane. Mm. And I'm like, well, my mum's, I I mean, I just, that was one of the moments that I was probably the most hysterical. I can imagine. What a trigger to feel like I'm about to get to her. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, I don't know if anyone's been to the Melbourne airport, but it's like very, very, very far away. The jets start to go from the help desk. And they said, you have to turn around and go back and book another flight. And I was like beyond hysterical. Like Mm. I was like running and then stopping and then dry reaching and on the phone to my boyfriend and just, yeah, he he probably couldn't even hear a word. It was horrible, horrible. Mm. Did anyone help you? (laughs) No, not a single person. Yeah. Not a single person. I'm all alone and I'm like dry reaching and like, uh, yeah, just completely hysterical. There's no first aid room. Like, I was like, I need a Valium or some shit. Like, I need some help. And there was just nothing. And I think the only reason I got help was because at the Jetstar desk was because I was hysterical. And, you know, the woman that I approached, it was certainly not her job. She kind of made it her job to help me because I think she was like, holy shit, I don't know what to do with this girl. Anyway, they got me on the next flight, but it was, you know, hours and something really crazy happened. So the last time my mum visited, which wasn't that much like earlier than her passing, it was like a month or two, she she used to leave, leave little chocolates in my like jackets or mushrooms or surprises yeah little surprises when she left and they was messaging her like after I found them and it was like a few weeks later and she was like there's another little Prezi that you haven't found yet and I was like I texted her one day and I was like thinking it's chocolate (laughs) like mom I just really need to know where this week got a sweet craving yeah. Yeah. And she was like, um, you'll find it when you need it the most. Oh, wow. And I had no no idea what it was. Like, mm. I'm literally still thinking it's a chocolate. And I'm like, bitch, won't tell me where my chocolate is. I need it now. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm at the airport and I'm going through my wallet because they needed my license. And I, I've got it here with me. I'm just looking through my wallet because I'm nervous and fidgety and, you know, just whacked out of my head. And I see this like card that's hiding behind another card of mine, which is also black. So there's two black cards when usually that's one. 
And like this had now been there for weeks and I noticed and I pulled it out and it was the gift that I hadn't found yet. And it's, it's fucked. It, it says, it's like this little kind of business card metal thing yeah. with a love note on it. And it says, and I choose you in a hundred lifetimes, in a hundred worlds, in any version of reality. I'd find you and I'd choose you. Oh my God. As like, as I'm. Sorry, no, I'm crying. I told you. And, you know, I'm about to face probably one of the worst things that I will ever face in my life. What did finding that card, not to interrupt your flow, but did it give you hope or did it scare you or did it comfort you or what, what was the thought in that moment? I like broke down again because. Mm. That to me was her goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. I had a feeling you might say that. Yeah. It like as much as when I like got to the hospital, I was like so ready to just like fight whatever it was and do everything. Yeah. And so hopeful finding that was like her goodbye. Mm. Yeah. You didn't want to believe it, of course, because we never do. Right. No. Deep down, that was probably Deep some down. part of you. Absolutely. And mm. someone actually said something to me because I'm like hysterical. And it's funny, I think about this guy all the time. And the poor dude, like, he, you know, didn't know what to say or to do, but he was afraid to console me. And he said, you know, I had something similar happen to my dad and he was on life support. And Da, 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 told me his story and then he was like but he's he's made it and he's now and it's five years later and he's still living and sometimes I think about that and I'm like that was just the wrong thing to yeah. say because I think about him and I'm like why you why mm-hmm. did you get to keep them why did you get the happy ending yeah and I didn't mm-hmm. get to keep my mom and I'm I walked onto this plane you know, with hope because, well, if this guy, if that happened to that guy, then it me too. Yeah. Yeah. Miracles um, can happen. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, totally. <laughs> Bizarro. And anyway, she had had a surgery by the time I had arrived. She'd had a surgery that morning and I got to the Sunshine Coast and got to the hospital and I had done as much like mental preparing as I thought possible like I was like I'm so ready for this because you have to walk in and actually see your mum on life support yeah yeah and I was like I was trying to imagine what it would look like and trying to imagine myself there and and then I got there and when I saw her I I just like I instantly actually looked away because I was like holy shit this that must is... be such a hard moment because you're wanting to get there to be with your mum but you're also yeah. dreading what you're about to yeah. say yeah it was it's such a strange feeling because the the visuals of it all is really hard to see mm-hmm. like it's it's something that you see in movies which makes mm-hmm. it easier and then when it's in real life it's like it's something else completely mm-hmm. Was it out of body experience or is it really Absolutely. real? Absolutely. 
absolutely mm. like basically from that moment on for like quite a few weeks I was actually not in my body at all I'm not surprised um, yeah and like I, I literally think back to those moments and like the way that I visualize it is that I yeah I'm not in my body it's like mm. a vessel and we're two separate things mm. anyway yeah got to the hospital and then I was met with like seven doctors mm. And they wanted to talk to me and I was like. And you're the 31-year-old daughter. Yeah. Like it's not something you think about, you know what I mean? Like it's not. you're the daughter. Never. Yeah. Like this doesn't fall on me. What's going on? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's funny, I I was so full with hope. Like my auntie describes watching me walk in just like with a straight back and I was just. Mm. I was Almost like, ready to fight. Yeah. Totally. And so I walked into that room with them and they were describing everything that was happening and it happened. And I was just like, nah, you don't know my mum. You don't know me. Mm. <laughs> you know, I didn't really believe a lot of what they were saying. And then, yeah, there, I, I actually don't remember how many surgeries there were. I think there was like three in a really short period of time no a really short period of time and that moment with all of the doctors was like very much like a movie and Mm. they were all looking at me like Mm. the whole room was looking at me very like expectantly Mm. it was like they they wanted me to do a certain thing or act in a certain way and Mm. I actually said sorry not sorry but you're all looking at me and I need mm. you to not do that mm. <laughs> I need to not feel the pressure of performing for you right now mm. um, and yeah that that meeting wasn't so bad the next one because you get like so many doctors so many doctors so many nurses she was on 24-hour care with tuna and she I you know, I didn't really know what life support really looked like, but you know, zero movement, eyes closed, lungs were being, you know, filled artificially. Mm. It's like, yeah, it's lifeless basically is mm. what it looks like. And I, I didn't really know that. I mean, I did <laughs> intellectually, mm-hmm. But when you see it, it's actually is very different. Very, very different. And then there was another meeting after the next surgery, whichever it was. And they, I knew, I knew that that was the bad one. And we went, oh, my heart was just like racing. And we went into this room and I actually vomited because I, I knew this was the, the conversation that we were going to have. And it, it turned out to be. The one where they said she wasn't going to survive. And if she did, it would be six months max and it would be on like on life support and permanent IVs and no nutrition. And, and did they know why or was it just a yeah. mystery? But there were too many things going on for a dirt come out. So it was part of. Okay. Hang on. You don't have to go too far into it. Okay. But basically, her bowel had twisted Mm. and there's like a bunch of vessels underneath all of the digestive organs that are like the life support of all of your organs and when it twists it cuts off the supply which starts to kill off 
oh, for okay. all dance. Yeah. So she'd had, and like, I just thought, well, you just get a new bowel or they mm. cut off of it or they, mm. you know, they cut off the dead bits. It's got to be a way. Yeah. Like I just had total faith that there was a way to solve this. They'd cut out like a lot of her stomach, all of these organs. I don't even know the names of them, but basically like a lot of her digestive organs. And the last thing was her liver. And you can't actually intervene with the liver. I didn't know this either. You can't do mm. shit for it. Like it it just has to do its thing and it will die or, or it won't. Yeah, wow. you can't do anything. They can't mm. touch it. And so there was one last surgery they could do where they could try and support, I don't know. I can't even remember. There was one last surgery and they were like, it's that or we stop and life support is off and it's over. And I was like fuck no we're doing the last surgery obviously (laughs) Um, and yeah it was it was unsuccessful and then I had to like make the decision of like when do we turn it off and how do we do that and I went into like full fighter mode I was like it's gonna look like this and there's gonna be music and there's gonna be no staff and we're not gonna wear PPE and we're gonna I just had this plan and it just like came to me it was not anything I thought of but I was like this is how it's happening and uh, it took quite a few hours for that to actually happen but it was like a very it was perfect it was like the perfect ending off Um, and so it was your auntie you and your mom and my sister who's not my sister Mm -hmm. (laughs) and my uncle her brother so four of us in the room with her and um, then they all kind of said goodbye with me and then I stayed in the the longest and something so funny and classic us happened I tried to get on her bed and it was really little like in the movies Mm. and stuff they all sleep in the hospital bed together Mm. (laughs) I I tried to get on the bed and I accidentally put too much pressure on her chest and she made a noise. Oh. And I jumped like. Oh my God. Oh. I mean, it was, it was literally the shock of a lifetime. Oh my God. But it was like this, it was like a comedy of errors. Mm. And it's it, like in any other context that would have been hilarious. But. Yes. And it, like, mm. I actually did like start mm. laughing. So I was like, how ridiculous. Like a, mm. that happened mm. twice. And like, it was just really nice actually to have a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> in the, those moments. Yeah. Yeah. But then to leave the room is like seriously unimaginable like I can't imagine oh. that I've thought of that we've had a, an uncle recently pass and yeah thinking about my auntie and my cousins yeah. leaving yeah I cannot no leaving that room leaving the starting room starting when to oh how do you I mean I don't how do you do that I don't know mm. if you did it like can you even remember it properly it must be all, such a weird memory it's very very blurry I remember I vomited and can like walking down and then like I was alone and it was you know 1am and all the lights in the hospital are like totally dimmed and I'm walking this corridor on my own and I've just left my mum and I that's when I vomited because it was just like what the 
fuck like what is actually happening and something something that is um I've never considered before as clearly as I have now is that so we know the causes of death so there was four causes it was like organ failure twisted internal hernia something else and and she had COVID still which actually played no part of her biological kind of breakdown yeah but we will actually like I may never know why any of that happened Mm. and this is something that like people don't talk about is that there's the the death but Mm. then there's like heaps of shit after that and for me it looks like there's there's actually an ongoing coronial investigation as to whether there was medical negligence involved god it brings a whole other set of trauma exactly like it's Mm. it's trauma and it's Mm -hmm. open and there's Mm -hmm. no closed loops and and what do you do with that you know like obviously you You need to know but what do you do with that it doesn't bring your mum back exactly and it's really hard I think people don't realize that like Mm, it's sort of like the mechanics of yeah like the things that happen around it yeah and like Mm. for people it might be like disputes over the estate or Mm. whatever that looks like it's never just a passing and this stuff goes on for months I'm still doing paperwork and that like it's crazy and so that coupled with it you know we're going to be talking about going back to work but you have to deal with this shit. And that has nothing to do with your grief. Returning no. to work and dealing with all the admin yeah. Yeah. has nothing to do with your grief. No. Then there's all of that. Yeah. And actually finding the courage and the strength yeah. and the power to, to do actually that. do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's- but also honour your grief and give yourself yeah. the space to grieve. Yeah. It's, it's huge. crazy. And I, I feel like, you know, I have probably been guilty of it in the past too, like, we just think, oh, there's a passing. It was probably hopefully peaceful in a hospital bed, whatever, but it's so not the case. And it, like, there's hangover things that happen for such a long time. And that's, yeah, like you said, not even the grief, it's like other stuff. So, yeah, the, the truth is that I may never know why her t- bowel twisted again. Like, what's the first surgery? dodgy or did they not see something that was going on in there why why was it twisting in the first place mm. like you know you just don't think of a twisted bowel as a reason for death you know and it just it's all very strange and, and that all of those like open loops and unknown questions all they hang around like they're mm-hmm. in my mind all the time mm. do you think and that then, almost is in your mind more than the grief itself is it maybe because it's easier to think about things like that yeah at at the beginning a hundred percent like I I actually weirdly like went into business mode like straight after Mm -hmm. I was like there's gonna be a point when I can't deal with this stuff and right now Mm -hmm. it's so much shock that you're running on adrenaline yeah I was just totally running adrenaline I was trying to get all of the like paperwork at least started Mm -hmm. because I was like there's gonna be a time when I'm I'm not going to Yeah. And I've kind of, I I think about 
the like coronial investigation and all of that stuff far less now than I did at mm-hmm. the beginning. But it will just change. Like it, it, it will ebb and flow. Exactly. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Good. And so then obviously there's such a big time after because yeah. you have some sort of celebration, you're getting used to your new life. Yeah. How does work then come into this? When does it start? When do you start thinking about work? Like, is it immediately like, oh my God, I'm going to have to go back to work one day. Is it the communication you have to have? Is it the worry about your colleagues feeling sorry? Like, how does that work? How do you actually get back to work and communicate with your work? So my boss and I kept quite an open communication throughout. Like he knew when I left he knew, like I'd kind of keep him updated. And I was very fortunate that they gave me seven weeks off, but I won't lie. Like I thought about going back to work all the time, like every day because we get this like guilt of not working. And And I imagine you were jostling with whether it would help or hinder your sort of life process too. Like some days you probably would have thought, I need to get back there. And other days you would have thought, how am I physically going to walk through those doors? Totally. So I kind of, I actually, I was on the Sunshine Coast for a few weeks. We, me and my partner and my auntie all got COVID from my mum. Far out. (laughs) So we were, yeah, locked indoors. Literally, like for seven days following. Oh, um, wow. which, yeah, I mean, I it was some in some ways a blessing in disguise because we didn't have to like answer phone calls or anyone. And you had each other as opposed we to had if each you're looking other. for silver linings instead of just you having yeah. it or whatever that yeah. looked like. Mm. Yeah, we had each other and we could just veg out and watch telly. Mm. Yeah, like honestly, that time to me is a total blur as well. But so that happened and then I stayed for a little while and packed up all of my mum's belongings and got them shipped down. So that was an early time to have to do that. I just, yeah, and honestly, I didn't have to, but I'm just in this like very weird place where I was in like total like lioness protecting Sure. You were trying to probably trying to solve problems too, I yeah. imagine. Like, what can yeah. I try and fix? Yes. Yeah. So, and then we came back and we were, yeah, meant to move to Torquay, which we did, but it meant that I just packed up my mum's house, back to the city, packed up my own house, and then moved house. <laughs> And I mean, exhaustion doesn't even cover it after, and this is all after having COVID. Like, and so then I had a few weeks in Torquay and I really got to like learn it and love it and spend some time by the beach. And I, I was actually starting to get bored and that's Mm. when I said, okay, it's time to go back to work. Mm. But the first week was weird. I had like one-on-ones with nearly everyone I worked with and yeah, that would have been exhausting maybe cathartic but exhausting I actually I I would just lay on the ground after calls people because they like everyone was so worried about me and they didn't mm-hmm. really know what had happened and I'd moved and there was so much change and I'm really close with everyone I work with like very yeah we've got friendships as well and I, yeah, I had to tell everyone what had happened and what I'd been through. And so the first week was just doing that really. And 
I was just, yeah, total rat shit. <laughs> I would just, yeah, I'd have to nap during the day and otherwise I'd just like, I would fall over. Yeah, it's hard. And then, you know, people are saying, welcome back. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, great to have you back, Java. But it's like the elephant in the room, you know, it's like I'm back from losing my mom. And like last time I spoke to you all, I had a mom. Sort of as well what we were saying before recording of like you weren't returning from maternity leave yeah. and like a changed person because you'd had a child you're returning yeah. after the greatest yeah. loss a lot of us will ever know yes yeah and the truth is that like I'm different mm -hmm. I'm just different and it's neither good nor bad but I'm a changed person. I'm a changed person. I will never be the same for the mm. rest of my life. So it's a very strange, like, it's like a bit of an identity crisis, I mm. get. You're getting to know yourself too. Like, it's yeah. not like you even really know who you are after this, how right. you meant to. Yeah. Mm. Um, so showing up, uh, yeah, like a completely changed person is mm. really bizarre and you just have to hope that, you know, everyone will understand and be compassionate which of course they all were they've mm. all been so amazing but yeah it's it's uncomfortable it's mm. just, it's a new challenge and it's mm. really uncomfortable it's interesting too because I've never actually thought about this till now but it's uncomfortable for people around you trying to do the right thing by <laughs> you while also worrying about you but yes as we were just saying this is new for you like you're yeah. not just because you've been through this doesn't mean you're used to this or that you understand yeah. how this works you're figuring yeah. it out too yeah, exactly. And with, and with that in mind, I know you reduced your work schedule and yep. you've been quite open about boundaries and burnout in that piece that you wrote for work-life balance, I think it was called. Yeah, yeah. Balance. Can you tell us? Yeah, balance and grind. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so initially I was brought back to work part-time. That was our agreement that I'd do a few weeks, three days, a few weeks, four days, and then you know, hopefully eventually get to five days. And mm. I just, I couldn't go back to that five days. And like the be the way that I described it to my boss was like, when you're doing reps at the gym, you should have like a few left in your tank once you've finished so that you can keep getting more. And I was like, I'm, I don't have any reps left on the fourth day. Even the third day is when I'm fatiguing. And then by the fourth day, that's my last few reps. There's nothing else left. And so we made it more formal. And it's really interesting. Like I, I'm like, oh, I work part-time. But the day that I get off, it, like it, I'm certainly not like, oh, I've got a three-day weekend. Mm -hmm. I'm like. You're doing a different type of work. You're looking exactly. after yourself. Yeah. And if there's all this, you know, as you said, there's so much admin going around. Yeah. Yeah, your, your, the loss of your mother. So yeah, yeah. So it, it's like I don't feel like I'm on any kind of holiday or anything. Mm -hmm. like it's still... yeah, it's like me time. Like oh, how yes. gorgeous is this me time day of the week? Exactly. And I think the way how people actually perceive it is like, you know, she's just um, even after what you've been through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's funny we have so much judgment yeah. around work and part of me is like. I'm at a place right now and oh, I hope that I look back at this podcast and have a little bit more perspective, but part of me is like pissed off 
that I have to reduce my work hours because we live in a society that's grief avoidant and doesn't understand it and doesn't know how to, you know, we've built work around systems and policies and not mm-hmm. human experience. And, you know, it, it affects, it's 20% of my pay. You know, it affects my savings. It affects my super. It affects, you know. Yeah, it's not an easy decision. It's not an easy decision. I had to do it because I I could not turn up on a Friday. That fifth day, I couldn't do it. Mm. I think I tried one week and was just flat. to protect yourself. Yeah, because the thing about grief too that I've, like, to preface this, like, I have experienced tragedy and trauma and loss and grief before I've I've lost other people in my life but losing a parent and I'm gonna say this and I I don't know if I'm right but losing your mum is something else I remember when I was actually young. Actually, I never forget the first time I realized that I was going to lose both my parents, but particularly my mum. I was just a little kid. I was home one day sick. I would have been like five or six. And we had this wall of National Geographic scenes on our shelf. And I I must have been reading about an animal and the mum had passed. And I remember being like, oh my God, that's going to happen to me. And and then I remember our neighbor losing their mum and her saying to my mum, a part of my heart's gone and I'm not going to yeah. get back. And I remember that was just so poignant to me. I'm yeah. like, yep, that's how I'm going to feel. Yeah. Mm. It is like, it's, it's unlike any other grief I've ever experienced. It's like the pain in your body is something so different. And part of me wonders if there's actually something biological that's going on there, like, I don't know, there's probably about it, but it's just not the same as anything else. Mm. And the person Um, that would normally fix the greatest griefs that came before is the person that you're now grieving. Yeah. And so this exhaustion around grieving is like, this is how it feels. It's like your brain is in two places at once. So one one of my realities is I've lost my mum and I'm grieving this Im- immense trauma. And the other part of your brain is remembering 32 years of a lived experience of having my mum. And so it hasn't caught up to reality. And so your brain is literally trying to reconcile what has happened. And it's almost like a self-preservation thing because I think if it had, if it hits all at once, we wouldn't survive. So, you know, it's constantly working basically your brain and then you put on top of that work and it's really difficult to, for me, it manifests as like I don't, I'm not particularly motivated to work at the moment got nothing to do with my actual job or the company I work for. It's like I am so busy in my brain and in my heart and in my soul that I can't, there's not, there's nothing left. Not enough room. There's not enough room. Mm -hmm. I'm full up with Mm -hmm. this, but 
we have to work. Like I, I wish that I didn't have to. And honestly, what you said before about like, you know, is it a good distraction or not? I've learned that it's not, and I'd rather mm-hmm. not be working actually. Mm-hmm. It's for me, it's yeah, I'd much rather just be doing nothing with days and just be a mug on the couch. And that's very, I can totally understand. Yeah. How yeah. do you set? boundaries to avoid things like burnout and also just to protect your mental health and your heart yeah I'm pretty strict with my work hours and I I wasn't initially because I didn't want to let anyone down so you know there might have been chat going on on teams at like 10 o'clock at night and I would have interjected because I got FOMO didn't want to miss out and then I just learned that I kind of so tired and exhausted that I just, I just was like, I have to simply work from nine to five, which is not actually my ethos. Like I'm, I'm very much like about flexible work, but mm. it's, I hear it's working or it's yeah. as best as it can. Exactly. So I just, I have to like contextually mark the beginning of work and the end of mm. work. Mm. So that to me just looks like moving to another room and putting headphones on as like a physical marker of the change. And then the same, at you know, in the afternoon and I'll usually finish with like a walk on the beach with the dog, which is that like contextual marker. Mm. Um, and I had, I had a conversation with my boss a few weeks ago about readjusting the expectations of me. And my, that my productivity and efficiency are just different. Like it's just not the same. And I know when I will ever get back to what I was pre and I like, I don't even know if I will, I, I hope you do one day, but I'm also okay if I don't because, you know, in terms of like prioritization, this has changed everything. Oh, I can imagine like work. Is everything to yeah. us. Yeah. And then you go through something Until, like this and you realise, like even motherhood on a totally different spectrum, I can't even begin to, you know, pretend that I understand what you're going through. But it's like a life change. Reprioritises yeah. everything in your brain. Everything. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I work in a field that doesn't affect people's lives or health. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, if I finish at five and it means something gets done tomorrow, then so what that's okay you need to protect your energy and your mental health instead yeah so it's just for me it's all about yeah self-managing my energy and the expectations I have of myself I'm very hard that would be an identity crisis because if you were sort of an over performer who wanted to be on teams at 10 p.m it'd be hard to reconcile the old you with the new you oh it's really hard like I'm used to being like the star (laughs) yeah, like a a high achiever and Mm -hmm. then to be okay with, you know, just keeping the lights on. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult, but I just, I just had to do it. There's just no no two ways. In that article, you mentioned the Glennon Doyle book, Untamed, and how much that changed your life. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I went to an all-girls school, private school. So this thing of like 
high achievers and being like the perfect little girl was very much ingrained for me. I went, I was there from one to 12. So all through and, you know, even the uniformity of how we had to wear our hair and our socks or everything, you know, it, it ingrains this idea of, yeah, what, what we meant to be like and you know I have no no questions as to whether that's affected me as an adult you know in my career it's like I want to be the most well-rounded and the most liked and you know feminine but strong and all of the things Glennon Doyle kind of disrupts that and challenges that and that just really hit home for me and you know I don't know if I'll ever get there to be like the full rebel but um but yeah, just just breaking down some of those preconceptions of, of what it is to be strong as well and mm-hmm. ideas about resilience, which is something I think about all the time now. Because resilience is so much different, so different oh. to strength, isn't it? And so much more important than strength. Like resilience yeah. is what we sort of should be achieving. But in the past, yeah. it's like, oh, she's so strong. She's at like smiling a week after losing her. It's like, yeah. no, that's, that's, I'm not strong. Yep. Just here. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow got here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Surviving somehow. No, honestly. Um, But yeah, I think we have this really kind of like rigid idea of what resilience looks like and it's almost Mm -hmm. like militant in nature. And, you know, resilience for me is actually like, you know, if I do want to cry in the bath on a Monday night, that's resilient. Mm. You know, I'm absolutely. Letting yourself do that. Yeah, to being mm-hmm. being vulnerable is resilient. So, um, yeah. Anyway, Glenna Doyle is an absolute queen, and it's the best book. I really recommend it. I'm going to read it like yeah. this weekend. I yeah. Think. yeah. I have one more question for you. This has okay. been, even though I wish more than anything that I could bring my mother back, this has been honestly unbelievable. Hearing the way you've talked about this, it's mm-hmm. truly been amazing. I think you're really gonna help a lot of people who have been through similar experiences in any type of loss. My last question is what advice would you give to someone going through something like this and just in terms of their life, but also trying to grapple with that return to work and how best to manage that? Yeah. The the biggest thing that I've learned is that grief is stronger than will. So, you know, you'll have your day perfectly planned And then all of a sudden you've been staring at the screen for like an hour and you don't know why, but that's a thing called grief. And, you know, sometimes I'll jump in a call and we'll have a team meeting and then, you know, 10 minutes later I'm on the ground in the fetal position because you actually, you have very little control over it. And the sooner that you accept that and, you know, weave that into your life and your new way of existing the better because you know it's incredibly hard to avoid and so some acceptance and compassion compassion oh God. yeah the sooner you can give yourself the compassion that you need and deserve mm-hmm. the better and uh, it, it's everything it's honestly mm. So, yeah, I think so much of grief is unknown and to just remember that 
yeah, it, it is stronger than your will and you may come up to times where you don't want it to pop up. And it will. And it will look completely different to so many people. For me, I, I have real issues with my memory. So I'll just like rock up to my acupuncturist and be like, hello, I'm ready for the appointment. And she's like, darling, you don't have a booking. <laughs> um, I do stupid shit like that all the time. Mm. <laughs> and that's because my the trauma that my brain has experienced. Mm. And you just have to be like open to those things happening, mm. not beating yourself Forgive up. Yourself. Yeah, that's that would be it's a horrible thing to do. But um yeah, that's probably my my biggest learning so far. And there's some other really good like books and resources that I've been getting into about this idea of our grief avoidance society. And I think the sooner that you can see those things and like like I said right now, I'm I'm angry at it now. But I think I and I hope that uh, you know, soon I get to acceptance and can kind of, yeah, live with my own grief. And yeah, like it's, it'll live, it'll be parallel to my life mm-hmm. in the rest of my life. So, yeah. you know, one way or the other, I got to accept it. Mm-hmm. It is, even mm-hmm. that is, you know, unknown. It's like, well, okay, I know that it's unknown now. So. Mm-hmm. And you can at least yeah. give yourself some self compassion. Yeah. Uh, any of those books? ones that you'd recommend like list out here now oh 100 the best one so far is it's okay that you're not okay by megan divine mm-hmm. i believe that's the title something something very very similar we'll make sure in the show notes that it's absolutely yeah if it's not um, that's fine <laughs> yeah, it's, it's awesome so that's yeah, right. boring read. awesome yeah. have you ever read any ordinary day by lee sales Blue. I love that book. It's Lee Sales is the ABC journalist. Yep. And she goes back and interviews heaps of people that she interviewed sort of as a breaking news reporter. Yeah. Different types of grief and different types of huge situations. Like some loss of people through floods. One is a surfing accident that happens to a husband. It's all different types of grief and stories and it's like there's obviously really sad moments, but there's also really uplifting moments, and I really yeah. liked that book. Ooh, I haven't okay. been through what you've been through, but I, I do think it's a good read, and I highly recommend. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. Jala, thank you so much for your vulnerability. That was a huge thing to share, and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Lucinda, and I hope that, yeah, if it can resonate with one person, that would be such a win. So hopefully, it does. I'm sure it will. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. In acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, each episode I'll be doing a shout-out to an Indigenous business or charity doing great things. This week, it's Aboriginal Art Co, an Aboriginal-led not-for-profit connecting consumers with authentic and ethically sourced Aboriginal art and products. You can find them on Instagram at aboriginalartco.au. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.